Welcome to the first win of the season edition of Scarves and Spikes. We appreciate you guys joining us tonight. Uh, got a lot to talk about, as usual. Tyler Pilgrim here alongside Sydney and Tommy. Make sure you guys are following us. Uh, you can, If you're watching, obviously you can know where to look, but if you're listening after the fact. Myself, ATL Pilgrim. Sydney is at SHWrites. Tommy at TommyATL96. And then, of course... Y'all follow us on YouTube. Subscribe, please, uh, at Scarves and Spikes, Twitter, Scarves, the letter N, Spikes. So, all the plugs out of the way, guys. This is the Ocho. This is, this is the Ocho. Ocho. Mm-hmm. You said you weren't keeping track anymore. Yep. That's why I didn't, I didn't go it in with that eight. Intro. You put it on top of the – it was the – I've never noticed that you, like, put episode eight. And what do you think Sydney was, that? That's his thing. I was watching Dodgeball on the airplane, so now I had to say the Ocho. The Ocho. So, it was a very, very interesting evening at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um, yes, it was. The adrenaline, I don't think, has really, really been removed yet. That was just a wild ending. One of the most wild endings to a soccer match I've ever had the privilege of watching. It was crazy. Yep. Um, I just but- want to say real quick, we are, Atlanta United is 1-0. Since we started the Scars and Spikes podcast, guys. That is so true. I don't know if you realize that. You're welcome. Mm. <laughs> Getting news dropped every week. I know, uh, right? Like on cue, Atlanta is is one oh and oh. we got something good going on here. We need to keep it up. Yes, we do. So anybody that wants to jump on the bandwagon, sponsors, come on, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we were all there. We had our own kind of version of game day. But at the end of the day, we're fans. We're, we we cover the team, but we are fans. So what was y'all's game day experience like? Yeah, I mean, I was in the press box with you, Tommy, uh, Tyler. And um, I, I kind of mentioned it early on to, I think it was Joe Patrick or Sam Jones. But it seemed like the vibe was just... Oh, I think I mentioned on Twitter. It seems like the vibe was just much, much different than last year. I mean, it could have been because the press box was open for the first time. And just for you all that didn't realize the press box, I'm sure you saw, wasn't closed in glass in past years. But this year, starting this year, the press box is open there. But there's just a vibe to the stadium that I haven't felt in a while. I don't know if it was just relief that last season was over or just anticipation for a new season. But I felt it really as the match began to get closer and closer. And then Almada, what he did at the end, just essentially blew the roof off the building, no pun intended. So just, but just like, a great day. Almost literally, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and Tommy, because you were down there, I want to hear everything about your your day because yours was like vastly different than ours. You you really had the fan experience, but like, oh yeah, I totally agree though. Like, I kept saying it. I haven't felt that kind of energy in that stadium since before COVID. And yes, it was a mostly frustrating night up until the last you know a little bit. But I think it was refreshing to see the crowd because. You know, I was there, Tommy. You were there, Sydney. I'm, I don't know if you were there um, opening day last season, and it was a—I mean, it was a pretty packed house then. And it was a three-one win over SKC. You know, Aru just scored that first goal, and it was loud, but it something about 
this past Saturday night was special. And kudos to everybody that showed up because it was it was an atmosphere that I don't think any of us are ever going to forget. Yeah, it was it was just an entirely wild atmosphere. You know, starting we we checked out the new supporters lot, which is nice. I, I don't know. I feel like Arthur's just buying all the lots, so the supporters have nowhere else to go but the Home Depot yard. That's my conspiracy theory that I threw <laughs> out there. But it was a good time. Uh, the supporters were were great. I hung out with the Terminus Legion for I don't know about an hour. Had some drinks and headed over to the backyard. Backyard was fun. Hung out with my friends, the uh, backyardicans who hooked me up with yeah. the scarf. So, uh, but yeah, when we got in, you know, I've never been to the, that low in the stadium. I, I was at the Falcons game in October. We were literally the 10th row from the top. So now I'm on the field, you know, checking everything out. And let me tell you during warmups, one of the things I just noticed is NTN is a character. All the subs were just working out um, in there and just watching NTN in the warmups just made me think, this is one of my favorite players. Like he's just, he's got a personality. He, everything was loose over there. You saw Barry and Sadage. They were all just having fun. So that was, that was great. And then the, you know, then the golden spike comes and I've been joking around about this forever. Why doesn't Ludacris <laughs> are of the fast and furious series do the golden spike. And I swear to you right before he came out, my wife said, I wish Luda was here. <laughs> and she started screaming as loud as she could when we saw Ludacris out there. And from there, it was like the night was just magic. It was mm -hmm. just so much fun um, going down there, just seeing the atmosphere. And, you know, despite the first half being a little bit boring, the fans were into it the entire time. And like you said, I was at the home opener last year. And it was loud. It, it was very loud. I mean, I think that was the first opener post-COVID where everything was open. It was open up to the 70,000 people. It was great. But I, it, something felt different about this specific match. And then you get to the, the goals that end up happening there. And then it was, it was the loudest that it's been since MLS Cup for me. And I think I've been to two or three games since then. It was just... It was just uh, an experience I, rare in just sports in general. And, you know, I, I think they said it was the fourth time ever that, you know, it's a player has, you know, tied the game in extra time and won it. And that's, that's a crazy stat just, just to see there. So, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a history making moment. And I think we saw it was the, the first win they've ever had after trailing after the 75th minute. Yep. I think that was the stat put out yesterday. Yep. So something cool to see. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you guys in the comments too, because there was a lot of you guys there that listen and everybody's day was different. Like my family was there um, and it was cool, you know, and Sydney, going back to what you were saying, like maybe it's just because we were in the press box and now that it's open, but you know, I, we tried to do the whole halftime thing. And then I went to go, um, go sit with my family for a little bit. And that stadium is so freaking big <laughs> trying to move around in there with almost 70,000 people going through is, is so hard, but I got over there and sat down for a little bit. And it was when Arujo made that one really big run, um, kind of in the beginning of the second half. And it looked like, you know, that goal was coming. And I think Almada took a shot. It deflected out to Arujo. Arujo took a shot and it went just wide of the post. 
and uh, it was it was it was the vibe. It was so much fun. Um, it it was everywhere, and you know, Tommy, then you being down on the field level, and it was just so much fun. And you know, Mark saying couldn't sleep till like one thirty. Totally get it. I was up writing an article, and I, I was going back watching the 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 goals like over and over again. Yeah. So I don't think I went to bed that night until like five. Oh, um, Sunny, that was the loudest stadium atmosphere I've ever heard mm-hmm. in my life after that second goal. Absolutely. Uh, Panthersville 20 on, on Twitch, by the way. Thank you for being on Twitch. <laughs> uh, I still have damaged vocal cords. My wife was openly weeping on Saturday. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I was I was about to start crying, too. Because it was such a beautiful thing to see. <laughs> we had a family in front of us and I started high-fiving them. And I don't know, I I had a lot of drinks in me at, at that point around the 80th minute. And when San Jose was basically just faking injury nonstop and you just keep seeing the stretcher come out. And there was one point where the stretcher came out and they made it maybe two yards onto the field and then immediately turned around. I lost it. I was screaming. They're on the other side of the field. They can't hear me, but they could hear me. I know they could hear me. I was screaming, and th- these kids were laughing. And then the tying goal, we started high-fiving them. And then these two probably, like, 17-year-old boys started hugging my wife, and they would not let go. They had the time <laughs> of their lives. So then I started hugging their mom. I thought it was only fair. Like, if they were going to hug my wife, I was going to hug their mom. So... <laughs> I figured that was like the best trade off there. I high five the dad too. He was there. Uh, but you know, my buddy what an awkward it was triangle. Yeah. Sorry. I know, right? What an awkward triangle you ended up in. It was a good time for for all of us, I'm sure. But uh, you know, my buddy, it was his first ever MLS game. Uh, and he was into it. He was into it before. And then when those goals happened, he we walked out of the stadium and he started looking up the schedule and he's like Looking up plane tickets. When are we? When are we coming back? Mm-hmm. When are we coming back? Because he he's addicted now, and that's how I fell in love. You know, years ago with this, and now we got we got another one. And that's what's cool. Yeah, about. Um, yeah. I was gonna say. Sorry, Tyler. I was just sure. gonna say. I think the fans needed something like that after 2022. I know some people <laughs> don't want to talk about 2022. Our goalkeeper included. We may get into that a little bit later on, but. I think as poorly as things went in the first half and as similar as things looked in the first half to last season, I think the fans really needed something like this, some sort of optimistic moment to make them feel as if this just won't be a repeat of 2022. I mean, injuries aside, I didn't think it would be a repeat of 2022 anyway, but the fan base just needed something to hang their head on and say, Hey, this team is ready to move forward. They're ready to put 2022 in the rearview mirror. Um, all the injuries, all the crap that happened, all the poor performances. So, I think this is a great first step. Uh, the 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 team itself, the performance itself, outside of Amalis' goals, wasn't very convincing. And no, we'll talk about that later on. I'm sure that's being addressed in the training ground. But at the same time, it, it's just great to see. Just great to see that. And, you know, Almada, his value is just rising and rising by the minute, it seems like. And this is just like another notch in the belt. Uh, I kind of joked about it. Um, I mean, the guy won the World Cup like 10 weeks earlier. This is not even close to the most biggest thing that's happened to him in his life. So. And but, he took it like a champ. Time, yeah, like, exactly. 
exactly. God, down there in the locker room, he was just like, I almost thought that, like, he was so calm. It was yeah. almost like he was upset about something. No, but like, right. obviously, like the you've got the the language difference, cultural differences, but he was just so like, yeah, you know, it was it was it was good. Glad we won. We got to get back to it next week. And I was like, dude, you just you just scored two bangers. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, absolute like not just goal of the week candidates, which they both were, by the way. I, that's something we got we got to mention. <laughs> How do you how do you get nominated twice in the same week for something that happens six minutes apart from each other? It's wild, but uh, you, you had to though, right? If you're MLS, you look at both of those goals and you're like, oh wow, that was a uh, both both of those. Like, how do you pick, right? So, but yeah, I mean, it was it was so surreal. I think um, because you get to the 90th minute. And you're already irritated, right? Because San Jose is doing the the stretcher thing. They're 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 flopping around. You got twice, um, the the stretcher came out like all the way out, and then they waved it off. And so kudos to the to the ref for, for you know giving the World Cup amount of stoppage time like you should have. And it came back to bite San Jose. I mean, Almada was like, "Hey, look, man, I saw this at the World Cup. I got time now to do something." So. Uh, it, it was funny, Henry, um, one of our, our fellow writers over at Dirty South, he was sitting right next to us in the in the, the press box. And I remember, I think it was like the 88th minute, he was already typing up the article on Dirty South, and the, the title was something like, you know, Atlanta United lose season opener, a heartbreaker, 1-0 to San Jose. And I looked at him and I was like, I really, really hope you have to change the title of that article <laughs> in the next few minutes. Knowing good and well, like that's not going to happen. And then freaking Tiago Almada, and he does his thing. So you know, if, oh, go ahead, Tony. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, you know, Henry, if if I would have called that game anything before the Almada goals, I would have called it Groundhog Day <laughs> because that game did look a lot like a 2022 game, right? Like I, I, we have to be honest with ourselves that I, I know we're all high here, but the first half did look like a 2022 game. Yep. And that was because it was a 2022 roster. Basically Jackson Conway's in there. You, you don't really have any new players out there. You, you just have a couple of healthier players from early on in the season. You know, you get miles and, and Guzan back, but you really didn't have many differences from the previous year. And then once the subs came in, the energy just changed completely. You saw what NTN can provide. You saw what other, 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 uh, some of the other subs um, were able to do. It was nice to see some of these guys get in and there's more to come. There's more players ready to start playing. Yeah. Do we want to talk about, you know, Tyler um, Gazan's quote from the locker room? I mean, we talked about last year, but you know, Brad Guzan essentially got upset at the reporter, and, and it's Doug Roberts. So it's no secret. Doug mentioned it on Twitter, but he asked, um, he asked Guzan, you know, like something got compared to last year, um, or, or was it a game that felt like last year to you? And essentially, Brad said, you know, I don't want to hear about last year. Don't ask me about last year again, or you'll piss me off. But I feel like that's really the mindset 
of this team, right? They just want to forget about last year. They knew that last year was just awful and very little went right. I mean, we talked about the injuries. We talked about the results. And we haven't even mentioned that Joseph Martinez essentially lost his you-know-what on Gonzalo Pineda and essentially, for the most part, wrote us taken it out of town, so to speak. So we haven't mentioned that, but it's just so many things that you can look back at. Like I said, not much that you can point to that went really right. And I think it was, I'm just looking at the comments. Mark, Yeah, Mark said, you know, we started 2022 with, Three one one record before all the injuries, which is true, absolutely true. But I think some total twenty twenty two was a year to forget, and to top it all off, you missed the playoffs. So I I, I don't blame Gazan for in the way. It, it, I'll say this: it is a fair question, Doug. That's a very fair question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I feel like Gazan could have answered it a little bit better, but at the same time, I don't really blame him for you know just wanting to put. 2022 the rearview mirror so yeah that's kind of where i stand on it well you forgot the the andrew gutman and ntn yeah part of the drama as that well too. that too the i mean i think they were responding back to a comment that felipe felipe was commenting yep. on someone else about gutman getting burned i think it was uh and then Gutman, I mean, I don't even think he was in the locker room by then. I mean, that was quick. I, I was, was like, still walking out of the like, stadium when that already happened. Did you have your your phone in your pocket in the game? Because that, right? that popped up super quick. Yeah, it was very fast. And then NTN liked it, and again, I I just start to like him even more. And this was really the week of Atlanta sports players going against uh, the media. I mean, yeah. we won't even get into the Trey Young whole situation, but like. After the after all that happened, I was like, man, like everybody in Atlanta has a chip on their shoulder um, as far as yep. sports players. And, you know, if that's going to make them push forward a little bit harder, then 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 great. And when, when you're a team like Atlanta that has such high expectations and you've struggled for so long and I want to say this, but some of the less popular teams, if they lose. If the team loses in the woods, nobody knows. Atlanta, when Atlanta loses, everybody knows, right? Yep. Yep. And it's the top of, it's on the front of MLS.com. It's on podcasts everywhere. It, everybody knows Atlanta United is struggling when they do. So now they've got to win and they want to prove the world wrong. And I am fine with them. You know, as long as they can back it up, let them talk. You know, I really, I like the personality. I really do. Um, I was in the locker room a lot the last half of last season, and there were some wins um, that that you would go into the locker room, and obviously you're you're happy. Everybody's hyped up. The vibe is different, right? You won. We were in there also during plenty of losses when it was just dreary, and there was nobody there to kind of get everybody hyped up and it was near the end of the season, of course. And everybody's just like, it just almost had a vibe of when is this season going to be over? You know, like it just, nothing can go right. So unlucky, everything else, injuries, you know, everything. So, but we talked about the vibe in the stadium, the vibe in the locker room after this, after this win, totally different. Um, you know, I think, I think Henry brought up 
about the Alan Franco being the uh, the music guy, and Alan Franco's not here anymore. And so Almada was having to tell somebody to like turn some freaking music on and you know get get everybody going. But like every there was everybody was happy, joking around, smiling. Um, we got in there a little bit later than normal because of the way Apple TV is doing everything now with having the uh, away coach speak to the press first. Then we went into the locker room. So, you know, the timing was a little bit different. Some of the players had already left. But, yeah, I mean, talking to Gutman, um, Gutman's always a great guy to talk to. You guys watched the show, watched the episode with with him on our show. The dude's just a super cool guy, super fun to talk to. Um, and he said he liked our show, by the way. He said it was fun. So kudos to yes. all three of us, I guess. But um, nice. his his locker this year is right next to Derek Etienne's. And so what you don't see and what it's so hard to put out, you know, in writing or in media is, uh, you know, Andrew Gutman sitting there trying to have a conversation with all of us and Derek Etienne, who just got out of the shower in his like just straight boxers is just off to the side. And he's just like looking over at <laughs> Gutman as he's trying to respond to questions. And he's just like, you know, like just getting yeah. all of in his face and just annoying him. And it, that's but that's the stuff that you want to see. You know, I've talked about it before. The the camaraderie, the the chemistry amongst teammates, not just on the field. Those are things that you want to see. Guzan getting a little pissed off about a question about last year. I mean, is it a valid question? Yeah. Are they probably tired of hearing about 2022? Probably. Like it's 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 good either way, but you want to see that personality. And I'm I'm happy that they were able to start the season off like this. And it's great to have a guy like Guzan back really being vocal in the locker room. Yeah. I, it, just real quick on that, you know, Guzan and Goodman and Etienne kind of, well, Guzan and Etienne kind of going after Felipe. Uh, you have to be careful, though. You don't want to drive a wedge between yourself and the media because the media has a job to do. And you don't want to give the picture of a club that is very retention of the media or very or views the media in an adversarial way i don't think they do i don't think gutman and i don't think etienne do but you just have to be careful um etienne you know he is pretty active on twitter we've seen already within months of him arriving and it, it, it's funny you know sometimes it is funny it is endearing i think it endears him to the fan base you know quite a bit but at the same time you don't want to get too wrapped up in what people are saying on social media because it can have a negative effect on your performance. You're so focused on proving XYZ reporter, XYZ fan wrong that that wedge becomes bigger and bigger between you and the media and things kind of start to blow up eventually. So I know Gutman and Etienne and all respect to them, Gutman, like you said, Tyler, Fantastic guy. Love to have him on the show. I think at the end of the day, maybe, I don't know if their agents are kind of having on the show or say, hey, you know, just be a little bit careful. Just be a bit, little bit mindful of what you put out there on social, social media. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, they have a chip on their shoulder after 2022. So let's see if the results follow that. It's a little bit tame compared to maybe what some other media yeah. members and, you know, if you want to go look to see what Trey Young called Mike Bell from ninety two point nine, you're go check it out. We won't, we yeah. won't, uh, we won't say that. But it was a little bit more tame. Um, yeah, see it. Go ahead, Tommy. 
Well, I was going to say, you know, I, I know we're going to have our guest here and soon. I was going to say the player probably the, the most interesting to talk about here is our penalty taker, Aruju. I think there's there's a lot to talk about him and what we saw last year and, and what it came into this year. I just want to get your guys' thoughts on what you thought uh, of Louise. So here is all I really want to see out of Luis Arujo. To me, his biggest, I think, issue last season, and, and I hope this is being fair, is that when he couldn't get involved in a match, he would start to go silent, start to kind of disappear, start to get frustrated. And as the season went on, I think that progressed more into just an overall just frustration I remember being in the locker room last season, very end of the season, and the dude's always smiling. He's always laughing. He's always having a good time. But he just seemed like I think everybody, but just seemed like last season at the end of the, at the end of it, he wanted a break. He just wanted to be done with the MLS for the winter time, and we just wanted to be done. So, you know, all I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to judge him on this one game because he did have a fantastic preseason and. You know, we can talk about like the opponents and this and that and everything, but like the goals that he scored in the preseason, some of those were just not easy goals. Like you look at the one against Toluca, uh, where he beat the guy at the near post um, after dribbling around a couple of guys. I mean, like that stuff like that's not, it doesn't matter who you're playing against. Like that's not an easy finish. So he can do it. It's just like, I don't know, something about walking into, into Mercedes Benz Stadium. Yeah, and Mark, that's a that's a great comment. Feels like Aruj is trying way too hard. Really hoping uh, Yakimakis and Etienne will take that pressure off of him, and that's true. Like it, I think it's going to be huge having a guy like Etienne on the other side who is going to be able to provide a lot of what Arujo can. And I think you saw it a little bit in that second half when he came on. Um, it seemed like Arujo kind of found himself again. I mean, he, he had the horrible penalty. It sucked, you know. I'm going to blame it on myself. This is the second time I've been in the press box trying to set up the tweet for when Arujo scored off a penalty, and both times I had it typed out and he missed. So I'm not doing that anymore. Just You're going to get that tweet a few seconds late next time he decides to take a penalty, if he takes a penalty again. But, yeah, I mean, all I care to see from this is Arujo come out Saturday against Toronto and look like he – is a goldfish like Ted Lasso goldfish forgot all about it. And we're moving forward. That's all I want to see. What? Why is Louise taking the penalty in the first place? Why not? That is a Arugia? great question. I mean, not, why not Amada? Why not Amada? I don't know. That is an excellent I'm question. Coach. I mean, he took him in, he took it in preseason, right? Yeah. And he got it. Um, I don't know. I don't think we see him take many more once Yakamakis comes in i i highly doubt we ever see that again Mm-mm. but it would have been a great way to, to to help his confidence and once he missed it I, I thought that before that shot that he was doing a decent job i mean you could tell that the the defense really focuses on him you go back and you watch some of the replay there there's guys surrounding him now if he could have gotten that ball there was a, quite a few times where jackson conway was wide open and maybe if he could have gotten creative and gotten a nice pass over to him, he would have had a wide open shot. 
but he 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 tries to do too much, you know, and you know, like I said, you know, once Yakamakis and NTN are, are full time starters, maybe he'll trust them a little bit more. But I think that's something that's going to have to change, and a lot of it was like twenty twenty two, Aruju. So, and you know, I I know someone wrote Conway's not good for much here, but I mean, there were times where he was open, but just nobody can get him the ball while he was while he was open there, and that's something that is the most concerning for me. I mean, whether it was Conway or Barry, they really weren't touching the ball much at all. You had and just a real quick. Just to throw this in there, Conway had one touch inside the box, and Miguel Barry had one touch inside the box the entire match, and that's yeah, that's a problem. Yep. And that was twenty twenty two again. I mean, we, yep. we we go. I mean, it's a theme here, but it's not untrue. It, it was early on. I mean, that's what it is. And I think Yakamakis is is a strong enough character that he's going to demand the ball, and. Once they start getting chemistry, I think they'll be able to get him it. I don't think players trusted Joseph Martinez either um, at times. Mm. And I don't think Joseph Martinez was always ready to get that ball either. I think with Yakamakis and a strong personality, which we all talked about, you know, after that press conference, he's going to demand that ball. And if it, mm-hmm. and if, if he's getting the amount of touches that Barry and, and Conway or Conway had last year or Cisneros or Joseph, whoever, He's gonna make a mess of it, and he he's gonna he's gonna be upset, and the front office is gonna be upset because you've got another DP player, a DP striker that is healthy, that should be scoring goals here. So you you don't spend this much money on a striker to not get him the ball, and if this continues, and he's not touching the ball, that's on the coaching staff, and that that would lead to me to thinking that there, there could be a change quickly if that doesn't change. And I mean, it's been like that for, for, you know, pretty much since Pineda's come in, no strikers really done very well. So there, I know Cisneros had his moments and he had his games, but everybody has their game once in a while, but that's, that's where I could see this becoming a, a problem and the coaching staff being on the hot seat is if they can't figure out a way to get, your new starting striker, the ball. Yeah, you hope that when Gigi, his visa does get cleared and he does start getting time with the team and when he does start, you hope that it doesn't take him forever to build that chemistry because the longer it takes and the longer he gets the night's service within the box and the night's scoring chances, that wedge is going to become larger and larger. He's already stepping into a position where he doesn't really know too much about the players. He just got here, what, a few weeks ago, so he's still learning the players, still learning their tendencies. He's only trained with the club for a couple of weeks, so there's that. he's still getting used to the tactics that Pineda and the staff is putting out there. So while there's a clean slate, you said it, Tommy, he, he, he's going to demand the ball. He said it himself, you know, if I'm not scoring, I'm not happy. And you, you, you can't score without the ball. So you don't want him to get off to a rocky start with his teammates when he's not getting the servers that he deserves or he demands. And if that starts happening, then that's going to start snowballing eventually to a point where you know he's not going to 
look kindly upon his teammates and the frustration is just going to grow and grow and grow and it's going to cause even more issues and as a team you're going to fall even further behind the standings and essentially like you said Tommy a change might be might be necessary. I mentioned, you know, I mentioned Laggerway and Pineda. They know each other from Seattle. But like I said last week last week, I don't think that Laggerway is one to put his personal interests ahead of what's best for the team. I think that he's willing to give Pineda some rope to do what he needs to do and essentially a clean slate. But if he feels that nothing is happening and that the team are just spinning its wheels and still hanging out to the habits of last year and to some extent 2021, he's not going to be afraid to make a move and bring in somebody that he thinks can do the job better. So that's something that I'll be definitely keeping an eye on with Gigi, how quickly it takes him to get used to the team. On that other note, on that same note, though, I don't want the fans to become, and I mentioned it already, the fans should have become impatient. They should give him some time to adjust. I mean, he may do it match one. He may not, but the fans, I feel like, shouldn't be so quick to judge. And certainly don't judge him against Joseph Martinez because Joseph, on his day, is and was in a class of his own. So that brings up a good point. We got a Conway game. fight in the chat. I'm sorry, Tyler. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you see this. It's going down. <laughs> so I'm going to bring up a, a point, kind of to piggyback on what both of y'all were saying, but something that kind of zilf. I'm going to tie all this together, I promise. Um, mm-hmm. but so you guys both mentioned like, you know, you, you want a striker, they're just going to demand the ball. I was talking yesterday at the training ground with, uh, Jason, actually Jason Longshore. And we were chatting about how, again, the same, the same problem you, you get both of your strikers first and second half, both of them only get one touch inside the box. Um, that's a, it's a mixture. It's an execution issue because your midfielders have to provide the service. Your wingers have to provide the service. Uh, but you also, as a striker, you have to demand the ball. You, you're, we always talk about drawing attention away from guys like Arujo, Almada, Etienne, uh, any, anybody else that feels like taking a shot at goal, Santiago Sosa occasionally will do that once he gets back in. Um, but that's, that's also the striker's job. You want him to be causing chaos in the box with his movement, that it throws a back line off their game a little bit. So it's 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 both sides of it. You you need to demand attention from your from your their defense, but you also have to demand attention from your own team. If if there's a point in the game, like in the 85th minute or so in this past match, where Almada is dribbling the ball forward and taking everybody on and literally running sideways to just keep possession of the ball waiting for somebody to get open that's that's an issue you as a as a striker need to be causing a lot more havoc to at least open him up but try to open yourself up as well and that's something that i feel like conway sometimes struggles with miguel barry i'm not going to judge the guy right now he's he's been he's been in atlanta for like a week and a half so you know what I saw of him, I'm not concerned about. I think I think he's going to do do well. Um, but I mean, the dude just got here, like, got thrown into the game. We're going to talk about him a little bit later too. But I think at the end of the day, they they both are going to have to demand that presence, demand the ball, 
like you're probably going to see out of Yakamakis. Yakamakis is going to come in and he is going to be the one. If somebody takes a stupid shot from 25 yards out, he's going to be the one throwing up his hands. Like, what are you freaking doing? Where's the, like, send me the ball. You know, that's going to, that's his personality. And that's how it should be. Um, and, and I think that will change things slowly, but surely in terms of, you know, how often we're seeing these pot shots from outside and, and things like that. So I hope, I pray that all of Atlanta strikers can do that. But I, I think, I think that's going to be a big thing you'll see out of Yako. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, when, when you watch the replay of everything, they're all wrapped around Aruju. I mean, you've got everybody, all eyes are on this guy. They, they know that he had a great preseason. They know that he has talent. They know that he can put pressures on keepers. He could put pressure on defenders. Maybe he can't score. Maybe they know of, of how he struggled last year, but they know that he's talented. And unfortunately, he just couldn't get the ball to some of the guys, Wiley and Conway and Omada. I mean, he he had trouble. He tried to do it all himself. And that's something that he's going to need to figure out sooner than later. 100%. So the big thing, um, because we can, we can sit here and talk about the nuances all day, but the big thing that happened was Tiago Omada murdered a couple of people and sent a whole lot of San Jose souls up into the sky. And I feel like we haven't really, really given it enough credit, but um, I do think we should show the tweet of the week here in just a second. Here's the thing. You've got the Apple TV angle of these goals. You have the Titanic version of these goals, which you can see on our YouTube. We have uh, various, you know, videos from both ends of the pitch where you see the curve on this ball. And then you've got the Marta version. Here it is. I'll turn the audio up. And there I am. By the way, yes, if you're listening before- to the podcast, you didn't see anything. So that's more of a reason to watch a live stream Wednesday nights at seven. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And subscribe, by the way. So watch exactly. us live. You would have saw the video. The video was, for, for those watching after the fact, was uh, Almada's game-winning free kick. The one that, that, that blew up the stadium, quite literally, almost. Um. I did not know that Jarrett Smith of soccer down here and friend of the show, good guy, great guy. Uh, I did not know he was sitting right behind me at all. And I thought, all right, cool. You know, we just witnessed Almada score this banger to, to at least save a point. Right. And then Almada goes and wins the game off that free kick. I could not stay in my seat. I don't care. Like I physically could not sit down. You can't cheer in the press box, right? I didn't jump up and start running around like a crazy fool like I, I wanted to, but I could not sit down. And I stood up, and I stood up right in front of Jarrett's Jarrett's video, and I feel terrible. So public apology to Jarrett and everybody on his timeline for ruining the very end of that video. Is standing up allowed? Like, did you break rules? Like, did anybody else stand up, or was it just you? 
I, I mean, he didn't break a rule. I don't know that anybody else stood up. Um, I know there was that collective, like, oh my God, you know, that everybody wants to shout, but can't. So they have to yeah. hold it in. So you come out with this like weird sound. There was that. It wouldn't have mattered if like we yelled anyway, because that stadium was so loud and the glass is out now. Right. So right. nobody would have heard us. It would have been a collective scream, but uh, yeah. So that was, that was our tweet of the week because I ruined Jarrett's the end of Jarrett's video. You still see the goal in the video. I just ruined yeah. the, the after part of it. Um, you guys and, didn't chest bump? Oh, no. No, no, there's, no way. there's no chest bump. No chest bump? Man, there's no chest when bump. I saw the video and what you put, I Googled what press box etiquette was. There's a whole article. There's many <laughs> articles. I didn't realize this was like a thing. But I looked it up, and I, I didn't see no chest bumping. Just just letting you guys know for the next well, Almada poll. I think that's kind of implied, though. Well, here, okay, here's the thing. If right. I tried to chest bump Jarrett Smith, I would probably have ended up out the window. Not because he's a like a big guy, like not like a, not, I'm not saying like fat. The dude's like six. He's like Shaq. He's just a tall dude. So oh. the chest bump would have sent me probably out the window, and that would have been the last you heard of Tyler Coger. <laughs> yeah. So. I you know I feel bad, but it is what it is. All this is is part of the the drama of of being an Atlanta United fan. So, um, but yeah, if you guys want to see the Titanic version, you got to go check out our YouTube. Uh, it, it's on there now. It's on there as a short, and everything just goes better with the Titanic music. So, exactly, absolutely. We 100%. well, um, yep. We have a lot more to talk we, about. Um, yes, we do. Um, Atlanta United taking on Toronto FC, and I believe we have a guest waiting in the wings to talk about TFC and somebody that's been um, covering the club for a while since it started and really Canadian soccer for a while. So, Tyler, you can definitely introduce them, or Tommy, definitely introduce our guest tonight. Our guest for the day, for the night, for the evening is, one, again, one that covers Toronto, Up uh, has been covering for a long time, the, the world-famous John Molinaro. <laughs> well, famous. Oh, geez. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate Absolutely. the invite. So, y'all are coming off of a uh, a bit of a heartbreaker. Um, yeah, I feel like it's it's polar opposites. You know, this first week, you didn't really have any any teams that that came away with draws. So it was it was heartbreak for some and and elation for others, but just kind of tell us how how was everybody feeling up there now? Um, you know, I think there was a sense of when you know Toronto threw away that game against DC, and let's be honest, they threw away the game because you know they were up, they go up two one in the eighty third minute after a pretty lifeless opening forty five minutes. I thought they looked much stronger in the second half. Mark Anthony K scores in the 83rd minute to make it 2-1. And the sense was, yeah, okay, this is great. This is a nice comeback win on the road. Uh, and Toronto only had won twice away from BMO Field last year. Uh, but then they throw it away. And I think it was the way that the game sort of unfolded for them. Over the last two years, whether it was under Bob Bradley or Chris Armas or Javier Perez, Toronto has a knack of throwing good points out after bad late in games. 
Um, I think last year they conceded in the in the 85th minute or later uh, five times, which ended up costing them about nine points. Now that wouldn't have mattered much in the grand scheme of things; they still would have wouldn't have qualified for the playoffs. But I think it just speaks to their bit of a problem in terms of closing games out, and it's the last thing you want on the opening day of the season, right? Just to have this, these old problems rearing their ugly heads again. So, you know, amongst the fan base here, um, there's a lot of sort of, I, I wouldn't call it disenfranchisement because it's way too early in the season, but um, just a lot of, Oh God, here we go again. Like, you know, we can't sort of, you know, the club can't sort of close things out on what's going on. So um I think, you know, reporters like myself and who cover the team on a regular basis and my colleagues, we're quite anxious to see what happens in Atlanta on, on the weekend because, you know, Atlanta obviously was on the other end of the spectrum scoring late twice to get the win. And so Mercedes-Benz Stadium isn't the easiest place for visiting teams to pick up a point. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how Toronto responds, uh, you know, after that heartbreaking loss uh, against uh, D.C. Now, I, I do have a quick question. Uh just because you know we kind of we kind of rushed you in here, but just to give everybody a bit of a, a background that may not know you, obviously this is this is mostly Atlanta United folks, but um, just give I guess give everybody kind of your background on, on covering the team and where your work can be located at and everything else. Sure. So I've been a longtime Canadian soccer journalist since 1999. And I've been a day one uh, beat reporter for TFC pretty much since uh, 2007. There was a small interruption during 2019 and uh, and sorry, halfway through 2019 into 2020. But other than that, covering the team on a full time basis since, since 2007. And so I've worked for Sportsnet, which is one of the big all sports TV channels up here. I've worked for CBC, which is kind of the Canadian equivalent of the BBC in England. Um, and right now I'm, uh, I've gr- I run my own sort of paywall website called TFC Republic, which is at tfcrepublic.ca. And it's just strictly coverage of Toronto FC on a full-time basis with a little coverage of the Canadian men's and women's teams uh, thrown in as well. I'm a big hockey fan, so I see a lot of sports in that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, um, yeah, John, again, we definitely appreciate you coming on. I'm sure you have a lot of perspective on TFC having covered them essentially since day one. Um just going back to Saturday, mm-hmm. the loss is one thing, of course, but then hanging over that is the injury to Insigne. And right. from what I'm hearing, it's trending toward him not being available on Saturday and potentially much longer. So twofold question on that. Um, what's the latest that you're hearing up there about his potential status for Saturday, the severity of his injury? And then second part of that question, who can step in? if he's out for an extended period of time. Yeah. So he limped off in the 34th minute against DC United. What with what the club was calling like a lower leg injury. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was at practice on when on Tuesday and he didn't train with the team. Um, He didn't train with the team as well today. So the fact that he hasn't been in training at all this week would seem to me suggest that he's not going to be available to play on Saturday. Um, The club, uh, told us on Tuesday at practice that he underwent a medical evaluation uh, uh, to sort of determine the extent of the injury. And so we'll get a full update uh, tomorrow on Thursday as to, you know, just how long uh, he'll be out of action. So it's really kind of in a holding pattern. We really don't know in terms of whether this is kind of like a long-term injury or a short-term injury. If it's, if what it's true is that they're saying it's a lower leg and we're talking about something like a calf or something like that, then 
you know, I would think it wouldn't be a long-term deal, right? I mean, if it's if it was something related to the knee or thigh, those usually tend to you know take a little bit longer. So, but we don't know. So we'll we'll get a get better idea on Thursday. In terms of long-term replacements, you know, they'll they're going to have to turn to their bench. And quite frankly, Toronto doesn't have a great deal of depth at the moment. Um, they might have to turn to someone like Jaquiel Marshall Ruddy. Uh, he's a 18 or 19 year old Canadian who very promising prospect, but uh, nowhere near the, the level of Lorenzo Insigne. And he's, you know, you know, Jaquiel is still sort of in his you know developmental stage, right? He's not the finished article. And it's a lot to ask of someone like him to fill into that spot. Um, you know, they might turn to someone like Io Akinola, the Canadian international who replaced Insigne in the uh, Atlanta game. Uh, he's more of a traditional number nine, but as you saw against DC, he had to fill in for Insigne. And I thought he actually did okay. Um, he had a couple of chances, rung the post with a, a long-range shot in the second half and in the first half, and looked at times he's, he stretched the, the DC back line. So, uh, But again, he's not a Lorenzo Insigne. I mean, this is a guy with Champions League experience and you know, has won you know, a European championship with Italy. So yeah. I don't think there's any question that, you know, Bob Bradley is, is sweating this a little bit, and the fear is that you know he'll he'll that you know hopefully from his perspective is that Insignia won't be out long term. As I said, we'll get a better idea on Thursday. And it's silly to rush anybody back from injury, you know, in game two of the season. No, absolutely, and you know he had even before he came to Toronto last summer. Uh, you know, he was coming off a full season in Syria with with Napoli in Syria. And his de- his sort of debut for TFC was delayed somewhat because he was carrying a little bit of a knock. So, you know, they were cautious back then to get him into the lineup. And I think, as you pointed out quite rightly, it's just the first game into the season. I don't think they're in a position to rush him into the lineup, even with the lack of depth that they're dealing with. You know, this is a valuable asset to them, right? This is the most expensive player in the league. And they're not going to risk, you know, prolonging his absence by getting him back into the starting lineup unless he's a hundred percent. So the other end of the pitch, uh, because obviously Insignia is going to be like the big, I think news going into this weekend sure. as he should be going back to what you said, most the highest paid player in the league. So you've got to be careful with him, but Toronto also brought in another goalkeeper mm-hmm. uh, in, in the off season coming from New York and Sean Johnson. So, and, and also, he, he's got a little bit of history down here as well. So, uh, but, but what's kind of been his, his impact just in the short time that he's been there? Well, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think you can hang any of the three goals against D.C. on him, right? Um, you have to keep in mind, too, that he's playing essentially in front of a completely retooled back line. Aside from Johnson, you know, Toronto went out and got a new left back this sort of offseason, Ralph Atreta, who played in Turkey and Switzerland previously. They signed another high-profile free agent of Matt Hedges, the longtime FC Dallas captain, former MLS Defender of the Year. Um, and they went out and got Sigurd Rosted, who is a, a Norwegian international who last played with Bronby. And, you know, he would have played uh, against Bob Bradley when he coached uh, Spa back in the Norwegian First Division. So, you know, four of the back five are new people. Uh, Sean Johnson is playing in front of a, you know, completely retooled defense. So... I appreciate, for me, he's been probably the most uh, important offseason addition because I don't think there's any question Toronto FC needed to upgrade at the goalkeeping position this offseason. And, like, you know, 
other than Andre Blake, you know, who's, who's a better goalkeeper in MLS, I would, you know, I, I think it's Sean Johnson. Um, but I do think it probably, it'll take him time to settle in, not through any fault of his own, just because, you know, the back four is completely new to him. The, the back four are new to them, are new to each other as well. So I think patience is required. So I think it'll be interesting to watch, um, you know, what kind of impact Sean has, uh, you know, in the weeks ahead. What do you think uh, it took Toronto to see Salah to sign him? Was it his age? I mean, granted, he he's had a terrific career at MLS, and to take nothing away from that, but did that play into it or contract the no, man to end up in a TAM deal? Or, no, you know what it was. That? No, it was because of Sean Johnson himself. So they actually approached him, you know, fairly early in the free agency period after the end of the season, uh, because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, they knew they had to get an upgrade on the goalkeeping position. And he told Toronto Point Blank, look, I'm going to Qatar for the World Cup. I want to yeah. sort of focus on that. Once we get back from the World Cup, then we can sort of begin talks. And it really didn't happen until the new year, until January. Him and his longtime girlfriend came up and visited Toronto, got to see the, um, you know, the training facility. Um, Toronto, TFC does, uh, you know, I have to hand it to them. They do a really good job of sort of going after and recruiting players, especially free agents, because they get the families involved, right? They did the same thing with Matt Hedges. They brought him and his kids up. You know, they took him to a Maple Leafs game when he, when he was here. For Sean, they took him to a Raptors game. Uh-huh. Uh, he got to meet, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Drake, the big uh, Toronto yeah. base. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> he got to meet him. Um, so, you know, they they pull out all the stops to go after, you know, they're after guys that they're recruiting. So, but yeah, in, in Johnson's case, it was, you know, he was dictating matters. He wanted to delay things until after the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing Sean Johnson a lot on commercials. I don't know if it, it's been popping up for other people, but it, it's still him in the NYFC kit uh, playing playing goalie. But like I've been seeing it nonstop on YouTube. Nobody, I, I haven't seen any of that, so I, you know, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Next time I find, I'll take a screenshot and send it to everybody. But yeah. it seems like he's he's getting advertised a lot. Yeah, as well as should as well he should be. I mean, he's one of the best keepers in the league. But um, yeah, we talked about Insigne earlier, but we have to talk about the other Italian, Bernadeschi, who came over last year as well, um, and really right away had an impact. Eight goals, three assists, mm-hmm. the, just thirteen matches. I'm um, scored from the spot um, on Saturday. So, how can Bernadeschi? He'll have all these expectations on him in 2023. How can you meet the, those expectations and exceed those expectations, really, based on what he's heard from Bob Bradley and what the expectation is from a TFC fan base and really all around MLS? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when he kind of came in last summer, um, you know, he came in roughly at the same time as Insigne and Bernadeschi. Mm-hmm. I think he was a little bit overshadowed, to be perfectly honest, because, you know, Insigne. Bernadeschi was a member of the, of the European Championship team as well, but Insigne was captain of, of, of Napoli. Uh, Bernadeschi hadn't really been playing regular football that year at Juventus, so all the attention was focused on Insigne. But I remember saying at the time, watch Bernadeschi. I mean, he's a little bit younger. He's got, I think he's 27, 28. This is a fun player to watch. I mean, he's an exciting, dynamic player. He can make things happen. And he's got such a great personality off the field, and it plays out on the pitch. And so you saw a bit of that last year. I mean, he was very vibrant in attack and really kind of uh, uh, 
added a danger of uh, an element of danger, you know, going forward that TFC badly needed. And I suspect that now he's had a full sort of full off season, had the ben- he's had the benefit of a full preseason training camp with Toronto. You know, his family are firmly embedded living in Canada now in Toronto, uh, dealing with our glorious uh, Lee Colda winter up here. Um, I suspect that, uh, you know, he's going to, uh, you know, there are big expectations on him this year. And I think he's going to live uh, live up to them. He's not sort of a player who kind of, you know, shies away from responsibility. I mean, he, he's, he's taken it squarely on his sort of, on his shoulder since he's got here. And, you know, he understands that he's one of the highest paid players in the league and that he has to produce. And I think he's going to, um, you know, he'll sort of continue to do what he did last year, which was, you know, pre- create some pretty dynamic moments in the final third for for TFC. So, I mean, and I think to that point, you kind of saw a little bit of it last Saturday. I mean, he, he has flashes where he looks like he can take on an entire pitch and, I think that's what Toronto wanted, obviously, when they signed him, along with Insignia. But uh, I think it's important for Atlanta fans to kind of – I think if, if we're going to draw a parallel, and we had a whole conversation earlier, but he he kind of has that Luis Arujo kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Where he is unafraid of, of taking on guys 1v1. Now, I'm not going to draw comparisons to the finishing because that's a totally different topic. <laughs> but I think, you know, for, for Atlanta fans who maybe don't watch Toronto as much – uh, that would probably be one of your comparisons because they're they're very, um, like, yeah, they're just unafraid. They they are um, again. Bernadeschi is, is very quick, very fleet footed, um, and and I think that's going to be one of the one of the more interesting matchups uh, in in the match this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, the the commercial Tommy was referring to was Continental Tire commercial. So oh, okay. Uh, I know they, they filmed a bunch of those last season with different players, but yeah, so that's uh, for anybody that was asking, it's a continental yeah. commercial. You ever have like a thought where you like you, you say it as a fact, but then you start to wonder like, did, did I dream this? That was the moment <laughs> yeah. where I had where like nobody here knew it. And then all of a sudden the chat started saying, and I was like, okay, right. I'm, I'm <laughs> there you go. You're not going insane. Oh. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, no, uh, but I, I take your point about, Bernardeschi, I mean, there is the, the term that I like to use is, is fearless. I mean, he's just, he goes at players without fear. And, you know, it's because he's, you know, he's played at Juventus, one of the top clubs in the world. He has Champions League experience. He has Europa League experience. He's won a Euro championship with, with the Italian national team. So, of course, he's going to go at guys and, and, and just sort of run at them and make things happen. And I think what's been impressive is, you know, obviously his goal scoring ability. His crosses into the box have been great. But for me, what's really kind of stood out is he's already formed a very sort of effective relationship down the right side with Richie Larea, TFC's right fullback, uh, Canadian international. They have really combined to great effect. Um, and Larea was, you know, came to the club, you know, he was previously with TFC, sold to Nottingham Forest, and then he brought back on loan last summer and instantly formed great chemistry with Bernardeschi. So, you know, Bernardeschi has this ability to sort of, you know, draw out and bring out the best of his teammates. And I think that's like another quality in him. Yeah. So um, AJ kind of read my mind. Um, and by the way, you mentioned the weather up there in Toronto. Um, being a uh, former Buffalo resident who was up there a mm. few months back for a Buffalo Bills game and um, paid a visit to Toronto um, as part of my trip, I can definitely emphasize with you. But, so um, you know. You know. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so AJ read my mind, um, and I have to ask you about Theo. Theo, of course, you know, with Ed, L- LAFC for for a couple of years, came right. into the league and really just uh, scored goals left and right, essentially. Form leveled off, and we all know the story. He left the club. Nice with TFC and back in MLS after several years away, including a stint back home in Norway. So my question to you is, what kind of drew TFC to Dio? What kind of led them to sign him? And how do you feel that he'll do as a striker you know, after, after having been away from MLS so long? And with his previous stops since LAFC, it seems like he hasn't had much of an effect, if I'm not mistaken. So how do you feel that Dio can do um, with TFC? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because, as you quite rightly said, he's kind of hasn't been in an MLS club for two years, and he's mm-hmm. played back in Norway and I think in either Qatar or Saudi Arabia, one of those uh, countries, okay. and has really kind of haven't sort of rediscovered his old form. Um, so in that regard, it was a bit of a curious signing by TFC. But on the other hand, let's not discount you know the history here. Uh, you know, when he was at LAFC, he did really well. I mean, he busted out of the gate. And it was there that he played under Bob Bradley. He also played under Bob Bradley in Norway at Staubach, which was when Bob really first got a ch- saw him. And he did exceptionally well there. I mean, he was one of Staubach's top players. So Bob has this, um, it's not a problem, but he has this knack of turning to players he's sort of used in the past or is familiar with bringing them you know, back. Sigurd Roasted, uh, another one who's you know, the Norwegian international, mm-hmm. played it with Bronby. He would have played against Bob uh, during his time at Staubach. So I think a large part of it is just Bob's familiarity with uh, Adama Diamande in terms of knowing what he could do and, you know, confident and feeling confident that he can get the best out of them. Whether whether Diamande can rise to the occasion, I mean, it's it remains to be seen. I mean, it's one game. Let's sort of reserve uh, judgment until we got, you know, a larger sort of sample size. Yeah. But I think the hope is that he can sort of rekindle his form at LAFC where very similar to, to, to how TFC plays, who's playing in a front three with two very talented wingers, you know, Carlos Vela, one of them, and really kind of thrived off that service. So I think the hope is that, you know, Bob can sort of recreate that in some form and get the best out of Diamande again. If he doesn't, and again, we don't want to make too many conclusions too early, but if he doesn't, uh, where does L- or LAFC, where does TFC turn next really yeah i mean like when you look at sort of the forward core i mean there's not a lot of depth there it's you know they just traded jesus jimenez to fc dallas to get brandon servania because they were sort of lacking in midfield depth um so other than um you know diamande there's io akinola who had a breakout season in 2020 but then uh you know had injury problems and that hasn't been the same since uh but he would be the first option off the bench beyond that you're looking guy, at guys like Jordan Peruzza and Hugo Mbog, who are young players who have very little uh, MLS experience. Uh, so if something were to happen to Diamande or I, or Akinola for that matter, I suspect that TFC would have to like make a move, um, you know, in the, either in the transfer market or in the trade market and bring in a more experienced player. Let's not forget, they have an open DP slot, right? They only have two designated players right now. Mm-hmm. They've said... Bob Bradley and Bill Manning, the club's president, has said that, you know, they're not going to go out and blow their brains out on another Insigne or Bernadeschi uh, to fill that DP slot. 
Um, but at some point, you'd have to think they're going to fill it probably in the summer. And it wouldn't surprise me if it's going to be on like a number nine or another striker, someone who can potentially play between Bernardeschi and, and Insigne. Yeah. So you, you've kind of touched on a, on a variety of, of guys, uh, Sigurd Rustad being one of them, uh, Matt Hedges. You guys got a lot of new folks, new faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, again, the Atlanta fans that maybe aren't as familiar with some of these names, I mean, I know you guys aren't either because some of them are so new. Right. But if you had to pick one uh, player that needs to be kept an eye on from a fan perspective this Saturday, who who would it be? Obviously, yeah, it can be one you've talked about already. I know Bernadeschi's maybe the obvious one, but um, who would you're it be about, and why? You're talking about the newcomers or just the team in general? Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, we'll make it two-part. The newcomers right. and anybody anybody that you want. Okay. Of the newcomers, I would probably say Raul Patreta, the left back, who last played in Turkey and previously played in Basel. Um, not a perfect game from him in, in D.C., but I thought overall – very solid on both sides of the ball. Pretty solid defender and very dangerous getting forward. Um, you know, and that was a big roster hole to fill for TFC after, you know, the retirement of Domenico Crescito um, in the offseason for TFC. So the fact that they were able to get someone like Patretta, who, again, has Champions League experience playing with Basel, that was a big get. So I think of the newcomers, um, probably he's, he's the guy to watch. Amongst the rest of the team, very hard to look past Bernardeschi. If it's not Insigne, then it, you know it's going to be Bernardeschi, just because he's you know of the of of the remaining guys that are healthy and who will likely play. He's the most dangerous and most dynamic and lethal sort of player, and really can make things happen out of nothing. I mean, he conjures chances really out of nothing just through his own sort of individual brilliance. So I think he's someone on the right side of of the front three that uh, Atlanta fans should keep an eye on on Saturday. So going back to Saturday, just real quick, and you kind of answered this question already, so forgive me if we're going over the same thing again, but uh, yeah, you mentioned last year, TFC had that knack of losing late leads last season, mm-hmm. and then it happened again on Saturday. Uh, is the mindset among the fan base, considering what happened last year, is that it's maybe just a blip, and what could otherwise be a response resilient season as compared to last season's results or do you feel that it might be a sign of things to come if things don't get nipped in the bud rather quickly uh, you know again it's one game so i don't think you know of course there's like a segment of of any fan base of any mls team or any soccer team for that matter who are you know reactioning knee jerk i mean i can remember posting my game story on on saturday and posting a link on Twitter, and almost all the responses were Bradley out, Bill Manning has to be fired, the whole team has to be revamped. Right. We're ninety minutes into a season, guys. Let's let's yeah. just sort of tone it down a little bit. You know, let's kind of cool the temperature. Um, but I mean, subsequently this week, I did write a column saying, "Look, not that this is you know, it's too early to say that this is a trending problem. This uh, this problem of of conceding late because it is one game, but." It was a problem last year, and I think they have to nip this in the bud. They, they cannot let the rot sort of set in because uh, the more that they sort of let these games slip away from them late in contests, if this becomes a regular pattern early on, then they're going to find themselves in a hole pretty early. Let's not forget, because of the League's Cup this summer, 
the schedule is rather condensed, right? There's a lot of games that are front loaded. And so if they continue to drop points like this late in games and, you know, pretty soon they're going to find themselves in a big hole and not with the same amount of time to dig themselves out of. So uh, it's something that I think they have to be careful about going forward. Definitely. It sounds like this is going to make it an interesting game. Atlanta last year, I think led the league in, in two interesting stats. One was goals allowed in the first, I think 15 minutes and then scoring goals in the last 15 minutes in stoppage. I mean, we mm. should have been a lot worse than we were if it wasn't for some late-game heroics. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring that point up because if I remember correctly, Toronto had like a bad habit of conceding early in the opening 15 to 20 minutes last year as well. And so that sort of made things even more difficult for them last year, and I think it was a major reason why they didn't make the playoffs. I mean, there's a whole slew of reasons, but that's just one of them. And and let's not forget, like the the Atlanta and Toronto matches over the years. There's been some crazy ones. They've been great, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, they've been fun. Um, are you coming down? Are you are you watching it from from home? I, I wish I would. I wish I was be able to come down. I miss. I was. I covered um, the season ender during the 2017 season at Mercedes Benz Arena. So that was the game. I think it was one one. It ended, and or maybe yeah. it was two two. I can't remember, but that was the game where. Um, uh, the league attendance record was broken, and uh, mm. TFC set the single season record for most points in an MLS campaign. So that was great. I mean, I f- absolutely fell in love with the stadium down there and the fans. It was a great atmosphere. Probably the best press meal box I've ever eaten as well. Oh, so was, <laughs> um, you know, and I probably stuffed my sa- face on with you know Southern barbecue in the in the few days leading up to the game. So that was nice. There you go. But uh, no, the games have been great. I mean, there's been some real sort of, you know, there's been goals in them, right? I I mean, I can't remember a 0-0 draw, even one. So uh, they've been entertaining games. And I think both teams are kind of committed to kind of go at it, right, since they've been, you know, in these games uh, at each other. So it'll be interesting to see. John, one of the things I'm curious about, because in Toronto, the Maple Leafs are king. So MLS season is starting while – the Maple Leafs are on a playoff run. So what is the atmosphere at a Toronto FC game early season? And then after when the Toronto Maple Leafs lose in the first round? Well, I mean, if, if, you know, past sort of seasons, it's, it's sort of been like, you know, once the Leafs are out of the way, then everyone's focus can sort of filter on to different things. Right. I mean, the Raptors are kind of the exception because they're on their own entity and um, you know, they don't really have to suffer from, um, you know, with the Maple Leafs getting the majority of the spotlight. But TFC certainly does. I mean, um, you know, there isn't, to be perfectly honest, there isn't much buzz in the city right now for TFC because their first two games are on the road. They're not going to play at home until March 18th. It's going to be miserably cold on that day, uh, I would think. And so, you know, and the Leafs are still, you know, doing quite well. They're, they're looking like a playoff contender. So it really doesn't sort of pick up until, like, you know, the team starts to play some home games and really the Leafs are out of the picture. It's just the way the market is. I mean, I cannot stress how much of a hockey town this is. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs were, is the yeah. king of all sports franchises yeah. in the city. They garner up the majority of the sports coverage. I mean, there's probably, uh, you know, I'm probably not exaggerating, anywhere between 15 to 20 regular beat writers who cover the team from a variety of sports organizations. Um, you know, Toronto FC would love to have that sort of uh, coverage. Um, <laughs> that's just the way it is, right? And so, but it's it's a problem at times because 
you know, especially, you know, it, it wasn't a problem so much when TFC was winning, right? When they had that great run of three MLS Cups in four years, then, you know, the media came out and it didn't matter what the Leafs were doing. People were paying attention. But the last two years, they haven't been a playoff team. And so they've lost a little bit of their relevance and they're really fighting for relevance right now. And that's why this this season is so critically important. They can't really afford another year of not making the playoffs because uh, I think that would just hurt them tremendously in this you know very crowded sports market. So well, I got to ask, uh, th- because the season just started, we've had guests on uh, leading up to the, the season, but you are the first that we've had on that specifically covers a team that Atlanta's playing against. So okay. I want to ask, and and it is it is completely okay because I've been on podcasts before, opposition podcasts, you know, uh, where I gave my opinion, and you know, I get it; it's the other team. But as far as uh, you know, scoreline or goals, who's scoring them, whatever, who, what do you think it comes down to? Who who is it? Uh, is it a lot of goals? Is it a is it is it a you know just a lot of back and forth? What are your kind of predictions for the game? Uh, I'm going to say a 2-1 win for Atlanta with uh, probably, you know what, it's it's not an original thought, but I'll go with another brace from Al- Almada. Um, <laughs> just thought, you know, obviously a great finish of the game yesterday or on, on the weekend um, yeah. against San Jose. And, you know, I think he's the hot player right now. Uh, I think when you look at the history of this series, you know, aside from the playoff game in 2019, um, I don't think Toronto has won in Atlanta, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. It's it's a tough maybe they have, but I don't remember. But it's from a regular preseason perspective. But yeah. it's a tough place to play, regardless yeah. of who the visiting team is, uh, with that crowd and with the way that you know Atlanta plays. So and given TFC's you know incredibly poor away record over the last two years, and the fact that Insigne probably isn't going to play, I don't see them getting a result. I really don't. So mm. you, you say two one. Who mm. who's the one for Toronto? Uh, I'll say Bernardeski again. Not terribly original, but uh, uh, you know I think he'll sort of get at least one chance. Maybe and maybe it'll come off a penalty shot, but uh, I think he'll find the back of the net. So one and again, Sydney, you jump in. Um, but I, uh, this is another thing that we do with all of our guests. Atlanta doesn't come up to Toronto until April fifteenth, mm. I believe. Um, so Atlanta's got some, some solid traveling supporters. I wanted to ask you a couple questions, uh, just kind of first thoughts, quick, you know, quick answer, whatever you first comes to your mind about, uh, Toronto and what a fan could experience if they were to come up there. Well, if they're coming up in April, it'll still be a little cold. It won't be dead of winter, like, <laughs> sort of, uh, you know, winter coat, but, uh, it's spring and spring. It doesn't really warm up in Toronto until really late April, kind of May, and then obviously the start of summer in June. So I would say dress warmly, especially because it's not a dome stadium. BMO Field is an open air stadium and it's right on the lake, essentially. So, you know, mm-hmm. even on the best of nights, it can get a little chilly down at BMO Field. So dress warmly. Um, I don't know. Other than that, I mean, look, it's, it's a, Toronto is a very, I mean, I have kind of a love and hate relationship with the city, even though I've lived and worked here for 20 years. <laughs> On the one hand, it's a frustrating city to live in because it's so go, go, go. And people are so into their own thing. And there's just, 
very little tolerance of, of like other people like within the city right i mean people are doing their own thing and it's like you got to elbow people out of the way on the subway on the streetcar <laughs> You know, people are just looking for any reason to go off on you. Um, on the other hand, it's really a great city for visitors because it's one of the most multicultural and multi-ethnic cities in North America. I mean, there's, you know, large swaths of Chinese people and Italians and, and whatnot. And, you know, you can see that throughout where you walk out throughout the, throughout the city. I mean, there's all kinds of restaurants. And as I said, it's just this wonderful gonna sound you know terribly corny here but it's this wonderful rainbow of people from all over the world coming into one place and so for me it's 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 one of the things i'm quite proud of as a torontonian is that we're a multi-ethnic multicultural um you know city and i think that's one of the city's great assets and so you know if people are coming up from atlanta you know check the city out go it's it's a very walkable city in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um you know, so check it out and, and really sort of experience that multiculturalism. I mean, I'm not sure, as I said, I've only been to Atlanta once, so I'm not sure if it's, you have the same kind of thing there. But if not, then this is a great opportunity to experience other ethnicities and other cultures. Yeah, yeah. Atlanta Atlanta is very multicultural. Uh, okay? Not not easy to walk around in, though. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so um, one place to eat, where, where would it be if you had to pick one? Oh, God. Oof. <laughs> um god well there's this oh god i'm trying to i can't even remember the name now oh damn it <laughs> there is this great southern barbecue place uh not far from where i live uh so i live kind of like near the rogers center uh mm -hmm. the stadium where uh, the toronto blue jays play um <laughs> and there's a great barbecue place about a 10 minute about a 15 minute walk away called Ah, uh, God, it's going to come to me. Yeah. Um, All right. <laughs> after the show, it'll come to you. Yeah. It'll come to me after the show. That's okay. But there's there's a, a great Italian restaurant called, um, uh, oh, God. Uh, now, now this is escaping my memory. Jeez, man. <laughs> okay. um, God. Uh, what the hell is that Italian place called? Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to bug you until you get it. It's called Taroni. It's called Taroni. So, okay, um, there we go. Fantastic Italian restaurant. Obviously, you know the traditional Neapolitan pizza, but it's called it's food from Southern Italy, and so there's a couple locations. So if you can get uh, a reservation, or I don't think you even need a reservation. I highly recommend there because it's it's great uh, Italian food, and my family is from Southern Italy, so I can really appreciate uh, you know the cuisine they put out. But uh, there's great places to eat. I mean, we have a really vibrant Chinatown. Um, okay. which, which is essentially where I live just south of Chinatown. And you know, those, those restaurants are incredible and they're open till like 4 a.m. And so you can get dim sum or noodles or whatever you want. So um, all kinds of, you know, there's great Indian cuisine, there's great Egyptian cuisine, Ethiopian, whatever you want. We essentially have it. So, um, you know, but if, if you fancy Italian, I would, I would highly recommend going to Tirone. If you want a traditional Italian pizza, go to Pizza Libretto. Very good at uh, traditional Neapolitan pizza. Sweet. Okay. That, 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 we're always, that's one of the questions we have to ask. We're always looking for good places to eat. Uh, <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to make it to Toronto, but now I know where to go because I, go. I do enjoy some Italian food. There you go. So, John, we appreciate you coming on. We want to 
you know, respect your time. We've been on for 45 minutes or so. So we absolutely appreciate your insight um, into Toronto, everything else. Where is the best place to find you on social media, online, wherever else? Yeah, so I'm pretty active on Twitter, and it's just John Molinaro, all one word, and it's J-O-H-N-M-O-L-I-N-A-R-O. So that's my Twitter handle. And then um, tfcrepublic.ca is the uh, website that I run. And as I said, that's full in-depth analysis of everything Toronto FC, as well as the Canadian men's and national teams. So, uh, yeah, check out the site and hit me up on social media. And like I said, if anyone from Atlanta coming up in a, in, um, in April – Hit me up. Well, you know, maybe we'll get a beer or something like that. I'd love to talk to you. There you go. Five hour drive for me. I can make it. There you go. <laughs> He's in Ohio, by the way. He's not down in Atlanta. So yeah. I didn't want you thinking he had like a teleportation device or something. No, I, I, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't think you would be able to make the Atlanta Toronto drive in five hours. So no, no, no. no. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm breaking a lot of laws if I'm doing that. Exactly, <laughs> uh, John. We appreciate it. And by the way, great website too. I, I was on there a little bit leading up to this. It's it's really awesome. So, oh, all thanks. the people listening, it's uh it's a good stuff. Definitely thanks, I appreciate it. It's very kind of you, sir. Absolutely, John. Thank you so much, man. You're thanks, welcome. John. Welcome, Have Saturday. A good one. You. Thank you, John Molinaro. Great everybody, interview. yeah, yeah, great, great guy. A lot of really good insight. You know, that's and that's the thing I think for folks that you know you, you get so hung up on your home team right yeah. but there are so many other storylines going on with the other team as well whoever you're playing any given week and obviously the lorenzo insigne was definitely gonna be the big topic coming into this one but you know atlanta's got to watch out they do have a guy in bernadeski who you know I, I mentioned it last week with san jose and kate cowell and kate cowell was very involved in that game. Bernadeschi is going to be another one that they've got to watch out for. So it's going to be very curious to see kind of how, how this one plays out. Um, if you're Atlanta, I think you're favoring a little bit the chance now that you don't have to worry about Insigne, but you still you can't take it for granted at all. You need to go exactly. out, play your game, and uh, try to try to make it six points on the season early on. 100%. You know, I feel like I left us down, let everyone down. I really tried to get a second guest, but I couldn't get Ryan Reynolds or Alanis Morissette. I was looking at most famous people uh, from Toronto, and I, I, I'm sorry, I failed. I know. We, failed. See, this is what happens. We, we try to put wow. Tommy on finding guests for us, and <laughs> it just didn't work out this time. No, it, not this time. Maybe you got to go big, right? You got to go big. You got to go big. So next season. We're going to do our best to get Ryan Reynolds on the show. I tried to find my Deadpool mask. I was going to put it on and <laughs> it just, it didn't work. The bit wasn't going to work. So I just decided uh, not to, not to really do it. Yeah, what's the worst he can say? No. Right. 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 Hey, he <laughs> loves soccer. So yeah, we, yeah it would be true. Atlanta cross Wrexham. Yeah. Show. That'd be fun. Do you see Wrexham's coming to, I think San Diego to play Man U. Mm. Is that, was that, what ended up coming out of that whole like U.S. trip that they're doing? I think that's. I think that was the rumor. Man, you and Rexham. That'd be cool. Ma again, one, once again, I might have dreamt it. I don't remember, but <laughs> I, I swear it was Rexham going to San Diego, and I thought I saw Man, you going there as well. I do know they're they're coming over to play. I want to say July in the like the seven v seven tournament or whatever they've got going yeah. on. So that that's definitely happening. But they were also talking oh, about yeah, playing yeah. like three games 
um, a mixture of former players and current players. So, you know, that playing Man U, that'd be huge. That'd be yeah, really, okay. really cool. AJ, but, AJ yeah. says I didn't dream it. So I'm two for okay. two tonight. <laughs> great, great. Lots of dreams going on. Yeah. All right. You guys want to do predictions? Uh, let's one thing before predictions. Um, the training ground yesterday. Got it. We got to hit on the training ground real quick. Um, Miguel Berry and Franco Ibarra both both spoke to media. So, um, I don't know, man. I, I went into this one. It was kind of a light day in terms of like media presence, but you know, you you come off San Jose this weekend. They're going to come into the the early part of the week, and Training was fully open. If you guys haven't checked it out yet on um, our Twitter, on Scarves and Spikes, and then uh, I think I may have put some up on um, my feed as well, retweeted them all from Dirty South Soccer. But if you guys haven't had a chance, just just some cool little quick videos of the drills that these guys were doing. Fun to see. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Almada, the guy just never turns off, it seems. <laughs> the guy's like, he just goes and goes and goes and – uh, what what you don't get to see as a fan, I think, is he he's he's a quiet guy, but when it comes time to to need to be vocal, you, yeah. you hear him on the training ground, and he's very involved with his team. Um, another one that that really surprised me, only because I'm so used to hearing Bragazan, but in one of the the last drills they did, it was a small sided two two sets of small sided games, and you know small pitch. Back like high, quick paced back and forth. Um, I, I want to say it was like five on five or so. But Quentin Westberg, that man never stopped talking, yelling ever. Like, and I could hear everything he's saying. He is, you know, he and he's yelling in multiple languages, telling his French guys what to do, where to be, you know, everything going on. And I just, it was, it was neat because you don't, you can't hear that at the stadium, right? And yeah. Uh, even in like the times that we have seen him in person, like at uh, Chattanooga and the AmFam Cup, it's just hard to hear those kind of things. But being at the training ground, he was super vocal, and I just it, it builds more confidence for me because I think we we go back to last season again. I'll get yelled at by Brad for saying that, but we go back to last season and we look at the conversations we had about goalkeepers all season. And it was like, hey, they're not commanding their box. They're not being vocal. They're not doing this. And, you know, I, if Quentin Westberg has to step out on the pitch for any reason, you know, God forbid Braggazan gets hurt again or whatever, um, I, I'm okay with that. You know, he, he's already been a menace to Atlanta. I hope he can be a menace for Atlanta going forward. Did you see the rumor before the game that Braggazan got hurt? Did, did you see those tweets at all? Because yeah. I started freaking out when, when I saw that. Yeah, I didn't realize it's something that they do all the time. I guess I was just a little. Um, we all got PTSD, year. okay? Yeah. you start the rumor, Sydney? I did. I think I did. No, oh. actually, it wasn't me that started the rumor. It was somebody else. I retweeted it and it went, spread it like wildfire. But, like, yeah, apparently it's standard operating procedure. So, nothing to worry about. I was so, going to say, he looked good. I mean, I, yeah. I was actually surprised a, a couple of the saves that that he made and yeah. you know real quick because i know we got to get going here ibarra was a very surprising player to me 
Um, mm-hmm. I know we didn't really get it. Uh, I think that he deserves a shout out because yeah. I don't know if I had a lot of expectations going in, seeing the very limited play of preseason with Ibarra, and I thought that he had a really solid game. Um, there, there were a couple of times where he did give it away, but he was able to get it back fairly quickly. Um, so, so shout out to him. You know, AJ's asking the question, do we think Conway starts? But just to make it this part of the predictions, but is there any player that didn't start that you ex- that you expect to start on Saturday? Barry, for sure. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, Miguel and Barry. Abram. I think Abram, too. You think Agreed. Abram over Parada? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so, too. Do you think NTN is ready? <sighs> I do. I do. It, it, it's a 50, coin 50. toss for sure. But, I mean, and, and, and to be fair, first of all, like Caleb Wiley did not look bad. Uh, there was a, a long ball, I think the first half, I think, that was played from Parada up to Caleb Wiley. And, and first of all, kudos to Parada for hitting it. Because I think, I think it was mentioned that it was Miles Robinson, but it was on the left. It was Parada mm-hmm. that hit it um, on a dime, absolutely on a dime. And broke every line, and and it ended up right at Caleb's feet, and he he received it fairly well, and sent in the cross just a little, a little too deep, and it was gobbled up by the goalkeeper. But it was a good look, you know, it was a good a good line breaking, long ball, and you got to do that every once in a while to keep keep another team on their toes. And but Caleb, I thought he did, I thought he did fairly well, but at the end, I feel like he's going to bring a whole other level, and I, I but I do think he gets a start. Think Etienne or Wiley gets to start. Just uh, Etienne, sorry, yeah. Etienne. I think Etienne. Okay. Okay. I think he's. I think he's okay now. I hope he's okay. Yeah, I'm on the fence. I'm fifty fifty. It wouldn't surprise me either way. Yeah, um, whoever starts out there. Uh, Mark asking is Sosa still out? Sosa is still out because of the uh, suspension for the One slur last season. Um, it was asked. I think actually this might have been after the AmFam Cup, but. He was just kind of like hanging out, sitting around, and uh, in in the locker room that day. And I, we asked about his wrist, and he was like, "Oh, it's fine." So, mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily there's going to be any kind of issue with like injury for him. Um, so you'll after the suspension is served, I expect there will be some midfield changes. But going back to Ibarra, I, I agree. I think he had a surprisingly good game, and that's not a knock on him, but it kind of leads perfectly into this point. He talked a lot at the training ground yesterday about his preferred position. And I I bring this up kind of as a bigger deal because last season, I forget when I forget what press conference it was, but Carlos Bocanegra described him adamantly as a number eight as more of a central midfielder, as a like what Mateus Rosetti was going to be playing. And it was asked during that press conference, like, did you mean a six? Are you referring to him as a, as a number six, like a defensive midfielder? And he was like, no, we see him as a number eight, as a central midfielder. And it was it was a little baffling, I think. No, and I'm not like not saying that like like Bocanegra knows the game. He does. But I I I'm, I'm we were I think everybody was trying to figure out like why do you see him as that when everybody I think looks at the kid and they, they see just this destroyer, you know, Pineda's described him as a hammer. Um, Franco Barra himself has talked about how him 
and Rosetto before a match, they'll discuss like who needs to be handled, <laughs> quote, handled. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the player or players that Ibarra is going to give a little bit of extra attention to. That's what he is. He's just a destroyer. And he was playing in his traditional number six role Saturday against San Jose and had a great game, relatively great game. And when I, we asked him about it at the training ground, he was very adamant that number six is his preferred role. I asked him, I was like, what makes you feel like you're a better number six as opposed to number eight? And he said, that's what I grew up playing. That's the position mm-hmm. that I'm just most comfortable with. And so I think it's just a stark contrast to last year. Um, if you get him in his natural position and you get the right pairing, again, to be fair, Rosetta didn't have a bad game necessarily either. I think there's some things that I would have liked to see more. But I think Ibarra is is a great option when you need that kind of like killer killer dude that's going to come in and, and be unafraid to put in tackles. And he put in some good ones, some hard ones, but they were clean. And, yeah. and I think he did a great job. Yeah, he had a few good games, like in the middle, the middle of the season. I think, I mean, we said at one point he was one of the more improved players that we saw. And it was probably about a good three-game stretch. And then it, it went downhill after that. And, you know, I think teams started to figure out Ibarra a little bit more on how to get an early yellow on him. And then that's where it just went bad for him. So, you know, if he can you be effective without getting a yellow early, I think we've always agreed, like, he can be really good, but that's not always easy for him. And, you know, AJ puts Rosetta was bad, real bad. I didn't really notice him, and I, I guess it's probably not a bad thing. I mean, it, yes, he wasn't moving the play forward as much as we have been asking for existence of him being on Atlanta United, yeah. but I don't think that it was anything terrible for him. It, it was okay. Yeah. Yeah, not to dwell yeah, and not to dwell too much on Saturday. Um, but but I agree. Um, I think they didn't make any, you know, glaring mistakes. I think it was just personal biases a lot of times with players that really stand up to us for the wrong reasons. But I mean they weren't terrible. I mean they weren't great, but they weren't terrible as well. I think um Mark's saying the game kind of turned when Hosetu was replaced by Sadich. So you wonder what that looks like in the future. Um, how's that center? Uh, how's that midfield pairing look when Soso comes back? You also have Sadich. You also have Ozzy. So, yeah, we'll have to see how that turns out. I'm genuinely excited field. about a potential pairing of Santi and Sadich. I, I think, yeah. I think they can, they can have something special. And again, it's not a knock on on Ibarra and and Hosedu. I, I just think, yeah. you know, again, they didn't do bad this match there are things that I think they could have done more of, but it's neither here nor there. They won. It is what it is. Um, I think the biggest glaring mistake that was, was made in the match was on San Jose's goal because you allowed a player to take a ball 40 yards, you know, basically unobstructed and that's, that can't happen. So um, yeah, not, not to dwell too much on it, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised. The biggest thing for them too, is just going to be, uh, stringing together some consistency. Mm-hmm. And I hope we see that for, for yeah. everybody's benefit. So predictions. I think you mentioned, uh, 
Yeah, but real real quick though, you mentioned um, Barry at the training ground as well, Tyler. Um, what's kind of your vibe about him? I mean, you wrote about on Thirty South Soccer, but for those that haven't read it, what's kind of your vibe on him? Before so, we get to predictions, yeah, yeah. So, so number one, Miguel Barry was super super nice. The dude was super cool. He came out. Um, it's, there was again not a lot of media there, but mm-hmm. all smiles shook everybody's hand went like before he stepped in front of the camera shook everybody's hand yeah and uh, we everybody introduced themselves to him and everything and he was like i'm gonna try to remember but i've learned like (laughs) 60 people's names in the past week since i got down here because you know people tend to forget like the dude just showed up in atlanta just Um, got here yeah so but he was he was again super humble when it when asked about what he was going to do for the team, kind of what fans could expect to see from him. He, he specifically described like his link up play and how he loves, you know, trying to get on the end of crosses. Like that's just where he feeds. Um, yeah. And, and Mark uh, Barry is actually, he's six foot three. He's another big guy. So, um, there you go. and that was part of the reason why he was one of the ones that was in the wall on that all modern free kick. He actually talked about that. And, specifically about that goal he talked about how you know they they actually had a plan for for a free kick in this situation and they kind of threw it out the window on the fly because they thought hey we've got these taller guys on the pitch we're going to be able to block the goalkeeper because the you know the free kick was right in the middle essentially so they said hey we're gonna, we're just going to block the goalkeeper Almada he's on one right now after having just scored that that the goal a couple of minutes before. And so they, they set up and Barry was like, you know, I, I, I've again, playing for Columbus. I've spent a lot of time being a part of a wall for Lucas Illerion, who's yeah. he described. And we all know it as one of the best free kick takers in the league. Yeah. And he was like, the moment that ball left Almada's foot, I knew it was, I knew it was fire. Mm. You know? <laughs> so, um, but what really stood out to me was so he, he mentioned that. And then he said, I have never been a part of an atmosphere like yeah. what happened when Almada scored that free kick. Right. Um, he was like, he seemed genuinely like awestruck at how loud the, the fans got and how loud the stadium got. Um, so, you know, credit to, Every, the 17s credit to the fans for showing up, showing out, being so loud. He was like, I had the most expensive seat in the house for right. that show. And I've, he's like, I will never forget that for the rest of my life. It was so loud. The atmosphere was so crazy. I'm so lucky to be here. And he just seemed genuinely excited to be an Atlanta United player. Yeah. He had nothing but good things to say about everything with the club, the city, the fan, everything. So I, I look forward yeah. to seeing a lot more from him. Great to hear. Great to hear. Well, hopefully, um, Atlanta won't need to be bailed out by Tiago Almada and stop his time like they were on Saturday. And that brings us to predictions for Saturday against Toronto FC. So, I don't know, Tyler, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> we're going to start keeping track of these, by the way, so we can see how yeah. terrible we do. But yeah, <laughs> right now, what do you mean? We, 
we did. How terrible we did. What's that mean? <laughs> I'm just assuming we're all gonna do terrible. No, um we're one to know, Tyler. We're one we really are, yeah. know. Sydney, you were just barely off because you had two two, right? Uh, it was fair. Let's just get to let's just get to Toronto. I don't want to talk about <laughs> it. Um I'm gonna go I'm gonna go two nil Atlanta. Hmm. And I'll give it to Almada Plus- and I'm gonna I'm gonna say Arujo, and I'm gonna say he mm. shakes it off and, and and gets something going after the the rough day he had opening day. I'll Tommy, say two one two one. I was sorry, Tommy. I just cut you off, <laughs> but um, you're fine. Let's see. I was gonna say two one Atlanta. Uh, I said Guzan and Arujo or Almada last week. I can't forget. Which of the two between Arujo and Mata, I said we'll have to go back. But I'll say Barry and Etienne. Barry and Etienne scoring. Then you guys. And then Burning 2 1 Atlanta. I'm going to stick with 2 1 until it stops happening at this point. Uh, I think they make another silly mistake that allows you know a goal. Hopefully it's not the early one there, but I'm going to say Almada. And I'm going to go with Aruju. I think he's going to... Something's got to happen here. And he's... I feel like it could be... This season could get really bad if he doesn't score early. I think he's got to get involved here sooner than later. And we've seen enough or heard enough of the preseason of what he was able to do. So I think that he's able to get one in and hopefully gain that confidence before Yakamakis because I don't... Even I think if he becomes available, it's Wednesday at this point. Even if he comes in tomorrow, I think that he might be the the Barry of, of the last game where he might be able to make a, a very small appearance late in the game. Yeah. Cool. I like it. So we got to figure out what one of us wins at the end of the season, whoever gets the most right. But A candle. Yeah, Joseph Martinez <laughs> candle signed by Tommy himself. Nobody said Joseph. I didn't light the candle until now. I was waiting late. for it. It was mentioned. He was mentioned a little bit earlier, but uh-huh. that's okay. We'll just have to light it twice next week. That's right. Speaking of next week, um, I'm not going to reveal the guest yet. You guys stay tuned for that. But uh, after we play this weekend against Toronto, it is Charlotte. So we will uh, we'll be having a, a pretty cool guest on. Super excited about it. So y'all stay tuned. Uh, make sure you're following Twitter, Scarves, the letter N Spikes, Instagram, Scarves and Spikes, um, and then YouTube. Please, guys, subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. Tell your mm-hmm. friends, friends to subscribe, everybody. Uh, Twitch as well. We want to give Twitch some love. We're trying to come up with some ideas of things we can do on Twitch. So uh, just make sure you're following us. Uh, myself, ATL Pilgrim, Sydney at SH Rights, Tommy at Tommy ATL 96. For those of you that are listening after the fact, if you're watching, you can you can see Sydney pointing right now. We're looking like the Brady Bunch in here. Uh, we appreciate it, guys. We hope to see some of you guys at the game. I'll be there. I think Sydney, you'll probably be there. Tommy, you're back in Ohio. But thanks for the people that did stop by. Yeah. And yeah. Justin came by and talked to Tyler and I yeah. uh, for a little bit and talked uh someone else came up to me at the at the supporters tailgate and said they didn't recognize my face and they recognized my voice so now i have a a complex about my voice so there's that (laughs) but yeah thank you for everybody that's that's given us the support 
uh, on Absolutely. all social media. It's, it's it's great to hear, and we like doing it. As Tommy, love doing. Yeah, yeah. As Tyler said, please subscribe on YouTube, Twitch, follow us on our social channels, and yeah, just please spread the word. It really does help us out a lot as we continue to grow the show and like, really progress as the season goes on. Uh, we're off to a great start, but you know, like I say, more to come. So super yeah, excited absolutely. for the future. And yeah, thank you guys for eight great episodes thus far. It's hard to believe, but the Ocho. And everything's going well. <laughs> the Ocho. The Ocho. So um, yeah, we'll be back next week. Cool guests coming on. Uh, spaces again, Edgar, thank you for that that bit. Um, Twitter spaces after every match. So Saturday yep. night, we will be doing another one on the Dirty South Soccer um, Twitter. So mm-hmm. definitely enjoy those. It's a different vibe. Everybody can get involved, chat and talk, and it's fun. So definitely hop on those. And yes, Mark, um, for those of you that did try to find us at the Heineken Halftime Bar Meetup, we were there. We just were apparently about 30 yards to the other side, and the, the picture was taken, and we didn't know it. So we did show up. We but were there. We yeah, we were there. I promise, because you can go look at, at Coach Steve's uh Twitter and see the picture of all of us there. We just showed up fashionably yeah. late, apparently. So but <laughs> good times. Hopefully next time. Yeah. Thank you guys. We appreciate it. Um appreciate the support. Definitely subscribe on YouTube and we will see y'all next week. So long. It has been real. <laughs>